Owen and Esther Carey are planning to board a ship to take a cruise. And I was in a hotel room in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was nighttime, and I was preparing to board the plane the next morning and fly back to Tulsa. Got a phone call from Owen. Sam has just been involved in a terrible wreck. I talked to the surgeon and asked him, should I come? The surgeon said yes. Sam playing professional basketball in Canada, driving back home to New Hampshire, had been involved in a terrible accident. Within about 15 minutes, I had another phone call from Owen. Sam didn't make it. It then became my responsibility to send an email to all of our churches and individuals telling them about this event. I'd earlier sent one before the, we knew Sam had died, urging prayer. And of course, over the next days, hundreds of prayers were offered in behalf of this family. Owen today wants to come and make comment. Esther and I wanted to personally thank you for your cards, your letters, your emails, your Facebook posts, and your financial support during that time. Uh, we know where Sam is. He's, uh, he was a wonderful young man. And so thank you so much for all your support. We really appreciated it. Well, what do I say about Robin Bales without inventing a bunch of stuff? <laughs> Some of you know Robin as a musician and singer. Some of you have CDs. I know Shirley and Bob have especially been blessed by Robin's music. And, of course, I know him that way as well. But I know him in another way, which to me is more important because the church is the bride of Christ. And God has given this man the stewardship of that bride in Manassas, Virginia. Robin and a man named Bob Yarborough were ministers of a Baptist church. And because they changed their views on the Holy Spirit and other things, things were not too comfortable. And so Bob said to Robin, let's go start a church. And we won't have a senior and a junior, but we'll work together in doing so. And that was the original idea. And even though it was Bob's heart to do that, as so often is true with one who's been a senior pastor, emotionally it's hard to step away from that role. And so a lot of turmoil happened, uh, much like what we went through here at TCF, because our background was very similar. And in time when leadership had dissolved and people were going all directions and Bob went off to kind of do his own thing. We had conversations with Robin, and Robin, in essence, asked, well, what do I do? And it was clear that he then was to function in an apostolic role 
and restructure that church, and that's what he's done. And brought together a beautiful leadership team. Uh, there are three of them now function as elders. The congregation is full of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly we don't want to honor Robin, but we thank Robin for the faithful stewardship that he has shown of Christ's bride. He has not flinched, even though at times he has really been embattled. He has not flinched. And so this morning, really it's my privilege and joy to welcome my brother Robin to the pulpit. always a joy. I, I know many of you from that visit and many more of you from just hearing from Jim and the other elders. And it's, uh, I tell you, it's such a blessing to be connected, isn't it? To, to not feel like you're just out there, but to know that there are people that are praying for you and praying with you and walking with you. And so I bring you greetings from the elders and the brothers and sisters at New Covenant Fellowship in Manassas. And I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today. And I want to do something a little different. I want to tell you some stories this morning. You know, I, I found that little kids, they love stories. When, I, when my girls were growing up, they, they would like me to read books to them, but they would say, Daddy, tell us the story of when you... And I'd tell them some of my escapades as a child, and they'd love that, you know. They always wanted to hear those stories. And I think most of us, at the core of us, really like to hear stories. Jesus himself, he was a storyteller. That's the way he communicated some of his most important things were through stories. And I hope this morning, my, my heart's desire is that we would be refreshed today with our sense, our awareness, and our reception of the Father heart of God. You know, Owen and Esther were really tested in the matter of their father and mother heart. And uh, we all prayed with them during that time and we're so blessed to see you guys here today. But every one of us needs to be reminded. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before, but hopefully it will refresh you. I heard a story one time of a father who decided he was going to take his son on a hiking trip into the desert. They lived in an area where you could drive just a little ways, and it was true desert there, dry, sandy rocks, a few cactus, and it appears to be not much else. And uh, it was an unusual place in that also on the edge of that desert, not too far away, was a, a dense forest as well. And so the father, he had done a lot of camping and hiking in the desert, and, and he knew that the desert was really... A dangerous place. 
It was a place you needed to be prepared for. So a couple of months before they were to take their trip, and it was going to be an overnight trip, they, they decided that the father started training his son. And he would tell him about uh, things that they would see and things that they would encounter. But the most important lesson he tried to teach his son was this. He said, son, in the desert of like many places, but especially in the desert, there are going to come things possibly that we can't prepare for. And so he said, what I need you to do is when, if I ever give you an instruction that's in a clear tone of voice, I really need you to trust me enough to obey immediately and un." questioning. And those two things began to resonate between them. And they talked about it and they practiced it. They'd be doing something and the father would say, hope. And the son would, at first he'd kind of turn and say, what did you say, dad? But after a while, he really began to understand the importance of that immediate and unquestioning obedience. And it was because he trusted his father. He knew his father loved him. And and as they began to work on this discipline even more, it was amazing how close their relationship got. And the day came for them to go out into the desert. Oh, they were excited, both father and son. Son, I, oh, he was, and he's about nine or ten years old. He's still just a little boy. But you know how nine and ten-year-olds are. He's really enthusiastic. But the father had, had some real faith in him. And they were walking along, and they would talk. and Oh, yeah, Dad, I, I remember you telling me about that. There it is, isn't it? They'd walk over and look at it and inspect it. And then at one point, about midday, it's really hot. It's really dry. sun's beaming down on them, and the boy is walking down a trail. And because of the nature of the trail, there's rocks on either side, they had to go single file. So the, the boy was going first, and his dad was right behind him. And as they went down the trail, all of a sudden the father said, Stop! And the boy had his foot even just poised, kind of like this. And because he had trained himself, and had really trusted his father, and they'd worked at this and worked at this. When he did that, he stopped, and he just froze. He didn't didn't say anything. He didn't ask. He just stopped. He didn't know why. It's like, this is kind of strange, but he did. And then his father said very quietly, says, now take that foot and very slowly put it behind you. And the boy did. He said, now take one more step, backwards, and the boy did, and he took one more step backwards, and as he looked down, there was a big, fat rattlesnake right on the path, and it was hiding in the shade there of the rocks. It wasn't rattling, didn't even really know they were there yet, and if he had taken that step, he would have stepped right on that rattlesnake. But because the boy had disciplined himself and trained himself to obey 
the voice of his father. He, they, they were successful. They were, they had, they were, got away from that danger. But it was that immediate and unquestioning obedience was the key. You know, in, in Luke eleven twenty eight, if you want to turn there with me. Jesus had been doing some teaching. And the lady cried out in verse 27, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And that's what the father had really instilled into his son. And the blessing that comes through obedience. So the father and son continued on their hike. Boy was a little rattled. The snake went off. They went on. And the boy really understood now why it was important to listen to his dad. So they, they had decided in their hike that as they were going along, they would hike across the desert. It wasn't a long way, a couple of three miles fairly easy day's walk, and they went into the woods to camp at night. And there was the, it was a very dense wood, and, uh, but there was an area right in the center of all these trees that was clear a little bit where they could make their camp. So they made their camp, lit a fire. Well, after you eat, and it's in the woods and in the desert, there's no TV, there's no cable, there's no video games. It's probably not very late. It's only 7, 38 o'clock at night. So the father started telling stories again to his son. And he told this story. And, of course, I, I love it whenever I hear the phrase, long ago in a land far away. <laughs> you, you know, okay, here comes something. And it turned out to be a story the son hadn't heard, so he was really perking his ears up. And he said, long ago, in a land far away, there was a king. He was a mighty king. He had a large kingdom, and he had secured this kingdom very well. He had fought his wars. He'd fought his battles. But he had established the borders of his kingdom. He'd established it as a place of safety and security. And he was a benevolent king. But he and his bride, the queen, did not have any children. And that was a great concern. A king wants to have an heir. And they, they eventually, the wife became with child. And on the day of the birth, the mother brought forth a beautiful little son. Oh, they were so excited. But then about three minutes later, along came another little son. And on that day, the king was doubly blessed with twins. He had twin boys. Oh, he was so excited. He and the queen. This was the answer to prayers. A, a dream come true. All these boys were pampered. You can imagine the king and princes, how they can get to be really taken care of. But the king also realized these were his heirs. And his plan was for them to be able to rule together. And he, he wanted to train them. So at a very early age the king began to teach them all kinds of things. But at this time, of course, long ago, the sword was the primary weapon that a man would use to fight with. 
Now, he would have a shield, sometimes armor, but it was that sword that was so important. The king was a master swordsman himself. He knew how to use his sword well and had wielded it in many a battle. And he wanted his sons to have that same thing. So he called upon the sword master who had taught him and said, would you teach my boys? He said, it would be my pleasure. So at an early age, three, four, maybe five, something like that, they began to have lessons with the sword master. Oh, the sword master, he, he had a, a long-term plan for them. Because you see, in order to use a sword well, it's not just a matter of learning to wield the sword. You also have to strengthen your arm. And both arms, for that matter. Because there are times when that sword is going to need to be wielded by both hands. And the legs in sword play are very, very important. Because it, it's, a, it's a moving battle. It's not just you stand in place. But you're moving and, and uh, making all kinds of gestures and things. And so a, a physical regimen was what was involved as well. These boys, they, they ran they did all kinds of exercises. They practiced a lot during the day under the tutelage of their sword master. But one of the things that was really important, just like any of us, in many things we do, if you've ever taken piano lessons, you know that going to a half-hour lesson once a week, you're not going to learn the piano. Any piano teachers in here? My wife's a piano teacher, so I hear a lot of this in our house. And some of them think that, that half hour a week, that's all they do. But then there's some of those students, you know. They come in, they've, they've really, you can tell, they've been practicing, and they play music, and it's wonderful to see that happen. Well, it's the same with these boys. The sword master could not really get them everything they needed. They needed to practice on their own. So they would be off on their own sometimes and supposed to be practicing. Well, the older son, he took to this very seriously. He practiced, he did his exercises, he ran, and he became very, very, very adept. And as the years went on, this was the pattern for this young man. He, he learned how to use that sword. Now his brother, a little different story. He was almost that 30-minute-a-week kind of student. He'd work real hard with the swordsman and put on his, his uh, kind of show and make the guy feel like he was really teaching him something. But then when it came time for him to practice on his own or do those exercises and build himself up in his body, he would kind of goof off and he'd want to go off and see other things and do other things. He, he, it wasn't like he didn't learn anything at all, but he wasn't accomplished at it because he hadn't really prepared himself. And the sword master and the king, everybody was constantly after him. Now, come on, you've got to, you've got to. And, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do better this week. But that was the pattern. But there's one other thing in these boys' lives that they loved to do besides using the sword. And that was riding their horses. Now, here's a kingdom, big kingdom, Plenty of guards on the borders everywhere, and it was a very safe kingdom. So they would go off, and they would just ride and ride, and they loved to do that. Now, the king also sent a security escort with them every time they went out. Because even still, you still you want to make sure they're safe. Well, the boys kind of got their heads together at one point, and they said, you know what? Today, 
when we get out there to that fork in the road where there's, a, there's an unmarked area of forest, we're going to get ahead of the guard a little bit because they can't see that junction. And we're going to veer off into the woods, lose our guard so we can go on by ourselves. We don't, we're not, don't need babysitters. And that's what they did. Well, then it became a running game every time the boys went out. Would the guards be able to keep up with them? The boys found ways to get away. But they usually liked that fork in the road, and it seemed to work so often. But one thing they didn't know was this. There was an adjoining kingdom whose king had been beaten by these boys' fathers. And they wanted to get back at this king. Well, you know, when you're trying to do that, you send spies out into the land. And that's what they did. And they noticed this was going on with the boys. The boys would get away from their guards. And so the the spies came back and they said, now, if we can just get a band of about 10 guys, that's all we need. And we'll just camp out in these woods right here. And when the boys lose their guard, we'll wait a ways until they get way away then we'll, we'll grab them and kill them. Well, the day came, kind of like clockwork. The boys went down the road. The guards are right behind them, came to the fork. They disappeared. Well, you know, the guards kind of got lax about it too. But it happened to be on this day that the enemy had laid the trap. And so the boys were galloping along just as free as they could be, enjoying that freedom and not having to be covered and pampered. And then all of a sudden, they came into a clearing and there were ten enemy soldiers that came out of the woods and surrounded them in that clearing. The enemy drew their swords and the boys went, oops, And they drew their swords. And the attack began. Now the older son, he was really confident of his right arm. He had trained for this. And he he went at them. And before long, he had actually taken out four of the enemy soldiers. Right there at the beginning, just like that. And he went on and and started attacking the others. Well, his younger brother played the defense. And he was able to hold off the attack for a while, but it didn't take long for four or five of the enemy soldiers to gather around him, and pretty soon he was knocked off of his horse, his horse was gone, and he was standing there, surrounded. He was able to kill one of them, there was still four more. His brother over here was having great victory. He had actually driven off or killed six of the enemy. And he turned and he looked and he saw his brother. And he was still on his horse. And a horseman with a sword has a great advantage over those on the ground because the enemy had gotten on the ground around him to fight with him. And as he looked over at his brother, he saw these four guys surrounding him. He just, oh, no! And he 
ran his horse over there and he jumped off of the horse. And just as he did, one of the enemy took their sword and pierced the side of his younger brother. And his brother, ah! And he dropped his sword. Because you see, he hadn't trained. His arm was not strong. He, He didn't have that drive and that ability to do what he'd been trained to do and taught to do. He hadn't practiced that and he'd become tired and weak. And because of that, the enemy was pressing in and they were, they were going to kill him. Well, the brother, older brother got there just in time and the two of them banded themselves back to back and they dispatched the rest of the enemy. And the older brother, he looked at his younger brother he said brother you have got to study your art do you see what happened you almost died I can't help but have ring in my head 2 Timothy 2.15 as a challenge to us today to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just like those boys, we need to do the same thing. We need to be those who are studying the word of God. You know, it's a little intimidating to talk about Greek when Jim Garrett's in the room. But he's challenged me to also try to get deep into the word. You know, in in the Greek, there's an interesting meaning and sense to the word that's used there for study. It's actually literally translated to use speed. It's basically be prompt or earnest. You know, I don't know about you guys, Some of you in here, I'm sure, are like my wife. She loves school. She always got top grades in school. Today, she would be in school if she could figure out how to do it somehow. I'm not that way. I did what I needed to do, kind of like the younger brother here. But but what this is talking about is we need to take our study seriously, be earnest about it, to do it promptly and with energy, not just lightly. Because the fact of the matter is, we have an enemy. Amen? We have an enemy. And he's not just an enemy whose goal is to give us a hard time. That's not what the enemy is about. That's not what his goal is. His goal is to kill us. He literally, if he can take us out and get us off this earth, then that's one less problem for him. And that's his goal. That's our enemy. He's a deadly enemy. And we have to be earnest in our study. And when we do that, and we become that that workman that is approved. Approved means tested. It means tried. It's kind of like the refining process of precious metals. You you melt it, and it takes heat and a lot of energy for it to be refined and become pure. And that's what we are to be. We're to be 
approved of God, tested and accepted because we have done what we're supposed to do. And then I, I love, I, I, I work with my hands a lot. I, I have a little handyman business I do on the side, and I, I like to fix things primarily. But I, I can build, and I, I've done some work like that. But I love working with my hands. And you know when it says rightly dividing the word of truth, what that really means, it means to make a straight cut. Now, you know, you can tell the difference between someone who knows their tools and someone who doesn't if you ask them to cut a piece of wood. Because someone who really knows how to use their tools and does it well, when they cut it, it's like they've, they just put it on a, on a laser of some sort and it's straight. But someone who doesn't really understand it, even with an electric saw, that it kind of goes kind of like that. And you can tell. And that's, that's what we are to be doing in our lives, much like these boys, to rightly divide it, to make a straight cut, to dissect it correctly. Because that's the, that's the other meaning of, of this rightly dividing, is to take it apart and dissect it correctly. Oh, God, God, let us be those kind of workmen, studying and approved and rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, here's the father and his son camping in the woods. They had a good night, rested. The next morning, they were out of firewood. So the father said to his son, Now, you need to understand, son, these woods, it's really easy to get lost in. So I have to go find some wood, and it, it might take me out a little ways from this campsite, and you won't be able to see me. You might not even be able to hear me. But it's really important that you stay right here at the campsite because I know the woods, but you don't, and it's easy for you to get lost. Well, this was a good father, but also a wise father, and he understood 10-year-old boys. So he put in one more instruction. He said, if by some chance you should venture into the woods and get lost, just on the off chance, then what I want you to do, when you realize you are lost, when you realize you have not the ability to find your way, the Father said, I want you to stop right where you are. Don't go anywhere. But holler out and just cry out, Daddy! And I'll hear your voice and I'll come to you. Oh, Dad, I'll stay here. It's okay. You go ahead. Everything will be fine. Well, the father had to go a little farther than he thought. And sure enough, 10-year-old boys being 10-year-old boys, he thought, well, I'll just go out a little ways and maybe I can help Dad. So he walked out and Look back, okay, there's the camp, I know where I am, yeah. And then, kind of like sheep who graze with their heads down and they don't know where they're going, he was picking up wood and, oh, yeah, here's a piece over here, and he grabbed that. Oh, there's a limb hanging, that would be a good one, he grabbed that, and pretty soon 
where's the camp? He got totally turned around. But in that moment, he remembered the words of his father. He remembered his father had said, stay where you are. Don't go any further. Cry out to me, and I will hear your voice, and I'll come get you. And sure enough, that's what he did. He just hollered out, Daddy, Daddy. His father came to him and went back to the camp. They made it home just fine. I heard that story when I was about 13 years old. That story grabbed my heart in a way. And it still does to this day. Because I'm like that little 10-year-old boy myself. Even at the age of 63, I find myself sometimes a little lost in the woods. As Jim was referring to, a little overwhelmed by the circumstances. I can't quite handle all that seems to have been thrown my way. And when it does that, I hear the words of my father. Stay where you are. Cry out to me, and I'll come. I'll come. Second Samuel 22, 7, it says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Thank God that we have a father that we can trust. Amen? We have a father who wants to teach us, who wants us to to become strong in our service to Him, but He's also giving us the tools to do that. He's giving us everything we need if we will obey Him and we will with immediate and unquestioning obedience follow our Lord. But most of all, we have a Father that knows who we are. That even if we get to that place where we've lost our way, as we cry out to Him, we have the promise and the knowledge. It's not just a promise in my life anymore. And I'm sure in many of your lives as well. As you have experienced that time when you cry and He comes. God loves us with a true, the only true father heart. You know, my dad died in 1987. I really had a wonderful, godly father. But I remember a couple of years after he died, remembering some things that were not my father at his best. And I, I remember I was standing in a situation and it almost broke my heart. I thought I was being unfaithful to the memory of my father to even recognize that he had faults. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me as well. He said, your father 
on earth was as human as any man. But I, as your heavenly Father, will never disappoint you, never lead you astray, and will never leave you. And you know, I had a wonderful relationship with my Father, but I came to know that day a whole new relationship with my heavenly Father. Because my earthly father's not here anymore. I believe he's on those grandstands with that great cloud of witnesses cheering me on. But oh, my father, my father God, he is with me today. He's with us, to those of us who know him. Amen? And I want to pray, dear father, right now, and thank you. Thank you so much for your father heart that heart that knows us and knows what's best for us. For you made us, you formed us by your design and your plan. And it was a design of love. It was an act of your love. And God, I thank you that today we can turn to you as our Father. Oh, oh God. I pray in each one of our lives today. And Lord, if there's someone here today who just struggles when someone says Father, they struggle with that because they don't have a positive image of their Father. God, I ask You to give them a fresh revelation today of You as their Father. A new revelation, Lord, of the Father heart of God for them a Father they can trust, a Father they do not need to fear, and a Father who truly loves them. God, I pray for that person today. Minister that revelation to them in a fresh new way today. I pray for fathers in this room, Lord. I pray, God, for each one of us who have children that we would understand the importance of of Your Spirit guiding us, of Your presence being with us, that out of us might flow not our wisdom and not our knowledge or not our strength, but all of it from You, that it would be good and pure and beneficial. Bless the fathers in this room, Lord. May we all, man, woman, and child, Experience today that fresh revelation that, oh, my Father, You are mine. And we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much, Robin. We appreciate that word.